Who's excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Yeah, y'all are turned up. It's so good to be with you all. I'm so grateful to be here. And, um, ooh, I'm so excited. So excited about this series. We are starting a new series today. I get to kick it off, and it's called Family, Friends, and Foes. Would you say that with me? Family, friends, and foes. Oh, y'all are awake today. Y'all slept good last night. Again, family, friends. One more time, real loud. Family, friends, and foes. So over the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about um, family, friends, and foes. I know most of you all would love to get the first two and just expel the last one. Uh, but when it comes to your destiny, when it comes to your life, you're going to encounter all three. And I'm going to say something that you may not want to hear. You need all three. And it's not that you volunteer. It's not like you're going to leave today and be like, yes, Lord, show me my foe. <laughs> Can't wait to meet her. Can't wait to meet him. I love getting stabbed in the back. No, we're not, we're not talking about being enthusiastic. We're talking about the calibration of these three people, individuals, groups. We need friends, we need families, and we actually need our foes. They do something for us. They do something to us, but they also do something for us that brings us closer to God. So we're using the life of David as the backdrop because David is one of those few people in all of Scripture uh, that we can readily identify his friends, his family and his foes. And so because I get to lead off today, uh, we're going to talk about Samuel. Uh, I'm talking about Samuel so specifically that if you're taking notes on the message, and you want to know the title of the message. It's just Samuel. Like I have no, like I, I had nothing jazzy to kind of put with it. We're going to be in the book of First Samuel talking about Samuel in the series called Friends, Families, and Foes. So um, if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to First Samuel chapter number 16. First Samuel chapter number 16. I'm going to read uh, 13 verses. You're going to deal with it. And uh, afterwards, I'll pray and we'll go wherever we're going. Everybody ready? First Samuel, chapter number 16. Here's what it says. Now, the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong? They asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. 
When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They were still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. I have no idea how I got in here. <laughs> this description just nails me. Just, I'm just trying to read the word of God to you. And then all of a sudden he, he has a word for me. That's why it's just good to just read scripture straight through. Thank you, Lord. Wow, let me just continue. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Again, we're just talking about Samuel. No super duper good title. Bow your heads, let's pray, shall we? Holy Spirit, help us to identify Samuel because we need him for where you want to take us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, David is one of my favorite uh, people in the entire Bible. Like, like the story is rich, his life is rich. Um, there's so much to him. Uh, and Samuel would be another person that is one of my favorites. We have his literal origin story. In 1 Samuel chapter number one, his mother, Hannah, actually prays to God, pleads with God to have a child. And God opens up her womb and gives her a child. She makes God a promise. If you give me a child, I will give this child right back to you. And that's literally what she does. She gets pregnant, she has this child, and she sends him to go live with Eli, who was a prophet at the time. And she makes him a garment once a year and checks in on him, but she literally drops him off in the presence of God, and that's where Samuel grows up. Samuel starts to hear from God at a very early age, and he hears from God clearly. As a matter of fact, Eli had stopped hearing from God clearly and had to rely on Samuel to give him what God was saying. So Samuel grows up. He's a prophet. He's a judge. He is uh, used by God mightily. Uh, the children of Israel want a king that they can visibly see. For some reason, they no longer want to be led by God in his word. 
And so they want a king. Samuel tries to advise them against it. You don't want that. I promise you, fam, y'all don't want a king. You have the creator of the entire universe as your leader. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to see somebody. And God's like, let them have it. So Samuel hears from the Lord and he anoints Saul as king. But because Saul is disobedient, and we'll talk about him over the next few weeks, Saul is disobedient to the Lord. And so we pick up in 1 Samuel 16 about the transition from Saul to David. Samuel is told by God to stop mourning over Saul. He has chosen a new king and he is in Bethlehem. Go find him. I will show you who he is once you get there. This is one of the things that I love about God. When God gives you a word and a directive, he never gives you everything at the same time. He always gives you enough to get started. And as you go on the journey, he updates you along the way. This is what it means to live by faith and not by sight, because faith come by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so as he goes to Bethlehem, he encounters the elders that are at uh, the front of the city gates and they are shook when they see Samuel coming. They're like, ah, do you come in peace? They are scared. And here's why they're scared, because they had heard word had already gotten out that because of Saul's disobedience, Samuel had to kill King Agag. This was an assignment that was given to Saul. He couldn't fulfill it for whatever reason. And so Samuel picks up the sword and he kills Agag himself. Let's pause and appreciate the gangster of the prophet. <laughs> Not only is this a dude that hears from God, but he will carry out the duty that was supposed to be given if you don't carry it out yourself. So when they see him coming into Bethlehem, the first thing they want to know is, please don't come here killing nobody. Are we safe? He's like, yes, I, I come in peace. But I'm glad y'all heard. I'm about that life. I just want y'all to, if I need to. Now y'all know, not only do I have a word from the Lord, but I'm about that life. He gets to Bethlehem and he's given an instruction, a very, very shrewd instruction by the Lord so he doesn't wind up killed by Saul himself. And that is, when you get there, have a purification ceremony and give a sacrifice and invite Jesse and his sons. Here's where it gets juicy, y'all. The reason why this is so juicy is because Jesse is already in this prophetic lineage of God's word because Jesse is the grandson of Ruth and Boaz. And, and, and so here we have Jesse poised to have one of his sons uh, to fulfill the prophetic word that has been given years and years and years ago. And so Jesse comes with all seven of his sons. 
And uh, part of this purification process meant that they had to go shower or bathe and shave and, and, and look presentable. If they were married, they were to abstain from sexual uh, 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 intercourse with their spouses until such time that this purification process was over. So these guys look neat and sweet. They are ready to be chosen. One of them is going to be chosen to be the next king of Israel. Samuel is ready. And when all the seven sons line up, he looks at the firstborn, Eliab. Eliab has, has about the same height as Saul, same build as Saul. He is head and shoulders above the rest. And just by looks alone, he's like, this gotta be who God wants. And this is where you got to be careful. Because God doesn't choose based on looks. He chooses based on heart. And sometimes we can have a very difficult time discerning what is God and what is our preference. Even though Samuel could hear from God, he assumed based on the first king, this has to be the template of who God wants. That's why God had to move in swiftly and say, uh, slow down, homeboy. I just need you to know real quick that man looks at the outward appearance and God looks at the heart. Now, I, I do want to throw in just as a caveat that some people have used this particular verse as an excuse to look sloppy. Tim, stay on topic. I am on topic. It's in the book. We read it. Man does, God is saying two things are true. Man does indeed look at the outward appearance, but God indeed looks at the heart. So if you ever want to make a real clear decision on which one you should do, it's both. I, I would look neat and make sure my heart is pure before God. Don't come in looking reckless and not put together and disheveled and expect people not to make a judgment about you. I would not go into a job interview with that verse talking about, oh, don't care how I look. God looks at my heart. The employer is like, and we looked at your tats. And they're up here. And so maybe no, unless you have concealer. You have to make a decision on how you're going to present yourself. Here is God looking down and he goes, it's not Eliab. And I want you to imagine with me now, because the Bible is a pop-up book to me. I see everything in pictures. Seven sons line up in front of Samuel. He's assigned and sent to choose one of them. Eliab is first, head and shoulders above the rest. Firstborn. Samuel is standing in front of him and he goes, it's not you. You sure? <laughs> nah, it's not you. Dang. Second boy steps up, more syllables in his name. <laughs> Abinadab. Four syllables, fam. It's gotta be him. Nice, strong, lengthy name. It's not you. Dang. Number three walks up. Shemaiah, it's not you. Dang. 
Can you imagine Sun 7? His hopes have to be building up. Number four is up. He just got rejected. Number five is now up. He gets rejected. Number six is up. He gets rejected. Stay humble, stay humble. I'm gonna make sure you get a nice post next to me, but uh, make sure y'all bow, make sure y'all bow. It's not you either. Are you sure? It's not you. Seven sons are rejected. And while this whole thing's going on, David is out in the field chilling with some sheep. He has no idea that this little ceremony is even going on. He hasn't even been told. No one has notified him. They didn't even give him the decency to know that this was going on. So he's having his full work day out there in the field, smelling like outside. <laughs> if y'all don't know what outside smells like, you need to have kids. <laughs> there is a sm I didn't know outside had a smell until I had kids. And when they go outside, and do whatever activity happens outside. When they come back in, they smell like outside. I don't know what is outside that clings to their body, but when they come in, they don't smell like inside no more. They smell like outside. So David smells like outside. I know he has stepped in some sheep dung. I know that there is sheep residue on his body and his perspiration and his sweat and all of that is caked. It's the outside and it's sheep stuff and then it's sheep feces and then it's all this stuff. And he's outside oblivious. All these other guys have taken showers. They have bathed. They have abstained from their wives. They are present. They are fresh. He is not outside dreaming about a palace. He is not outside dreaming about a kingdom. This is not a Disney movie. One day, if you say, I will be king. One day, some way, I will be king. I don't know how. I don't know where, I don't know why, and I don't care. Somehow, some way, I will be king. That did not happen! 
He was not checking. He was so fixed on his assignment, he wasn't worried about what was next. And I got to tell y'all, that's who God looks for. He doesn't look for the pick me people. He looks for the not me people. And while he's outside, Samuel's inside with Jesse and his seven sons. And he just decides to ask a question. I can't imagine what he's thinking in real time. Like, you, I told you to bring all your sons. It's got to be all your sons. And then he just goes, do, do you have another son? Because it's not none of them. And Jesse says, well, there's the youngest. But, but he's, he's outside with the sheep and goats. And Samuel says, uh, well, go get him. Because we won't eat until he comes. So one of the sons has to go out at some point. David! David! Yeah! You got to come inside! Huh? You have to come inside. We have company. It's a prophet, and he's picking a king. So? <laughs> Fool, just come inside. I'm sorry I made him hood, but I can only give you what I've been through. So, David comes inside. David comes inside the house. And when he comes inside the house, he hasn't taken a shower. He smells like outside. When he walks in the house, he has no idea why his brothers look so good. He has no idea what's going on. He hasn't had time to prepare. He hasn't had time to get ready. But when he comes inside, God tells Samuel, that's him. This him right here, that's him. Can you imagine the seven brothers that have to watch this? Can you imagine the emotions they're feeling? I got all dressed up. I said no to my wife last night, and I didn't even get picked. Can you imagine David having to take in this scene and the posture of heart he has to have not to be like, <laughs> yeah, y'all wasn't trying to even bring me to the party. But God, though, like he wasn't even. <laughs> Back then, you didn't know me. Now I'm right. He didn't even. The posture of heart. He's a man after God's own heart. He receives this moment with humility. And the oil pours out. Without Samuel. This moment doesn't happen. David needs Samuel to even know what God wants to do in his life. 
And I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, that everybody in this room needs a Samuel at some point in your life. I don't care what you're called to do. I don't care if you're called to be in ministry or open a business. You never get anywhere by yourself. God will always strategically send somebody into your life to speak into your life so you can get to the place where God ultimately wants you to be. So there's three points that I have to this message. I want you to write them down about Samuel. This, th these are the components of Samuel that literally set up David for his destiny. Point number one, please write this down. You need someone who hears from God clearly. You got to have it. It is imperative. You need somebody in your life that hears God clearly on your behalf. There's zero way I could have planned to be speaking this weekend to be opening up this particular series. Today is the eighth anniversary of Embassy City Church. The church that I planted eight years ago, this is their eighth. Today is the eighth anniversary of that church. Two years ago in September of 21, we received, Juliet and I received a prophetic word that my season as a lead pastor was coming to an end. I was heartbroken. I thought God was firing me. I thought I did something wrong. I'm in a hotel room at 5 a.m. in the morning to have my devotion time. The Holy Spirit says, I need you to listen to that prophetic word that you just received on Sunday. I listen to the word and then I hear your season as a lead pastor is coming to an end. So I start crying, but y'all, not just any cry, ugly cry. Anybody beside me ever. I'm talking about that cry that takes, like you don't know if you're gonna breathe again. <laughs> that, the one that gets you so lightheaded, you think you're gonna pass out? Like you're telling your body, please breathe, please. I don't want to die crying. I, I don't want to die crying. I was crying like that. At 5.20 in the morning, I pick up the phone and I call my mentor, Jerome Lewis. Ugly crying. He picks up the phone. Hey, good morning, fella. Because he's always up early. And I was like, <laughs> I know he probably thought somebody died. He's like, Tim, what's wrong? I was like, I think the Lord just told me that um, I'm supposed to give up my church. Well, it ain't my church, it's his church. But I'm just saying, he the one told me to plant it. And I think he, was, <sighs> I think he told me that he wants me <clears throat> to give up the church. And I don't know what to do. <sighs> and if he's talking to me about this, I really need him to tell Juliet because I don't want to tell her myself. Anybody beside me? You married and God's telling you something and you're like, will you please tell my significant other because I don't, when I be talking, they don't be listening to me. So I'm, I need you to, last time I tried to say, the Lord said something, it got cold in the house and it was July, right? Like, so I'm sitting, I'm crying on the phone and he's such a man of God. Grew up word of faith. So he's like, son, what I need you to do is pray in the spirit. Just pray in the spirit and God's going to give you some revelations you've never had in your life. This is going to be good. And whatever he's telling you to do, I promise you, I am with you every step of the way. And you know what? I think he is telling you to do this. 
and you need to lean into it. And I was like, okay, but can you just make sure that God tells Juliet? So, cause I don't wanna have a conversation with her myself. And I hung up the phone and God didn't tell Juliet. So I had to tell her and she was like, you're crazy. And then I was like, or I'm not. We prayed for three months, and then God made it clear that our season as lead pastors was indeed coming to an end. But Jerome Lewis acted as my Samuel in that moment because I had to trust someone outside of me to hear God clearly for me. Point number two, please write this down. You need someone who will identify you specifically. You're going to need somebody that will identify you specifically. This is literally what Samuel does. Samuel hears clearly from God that he's supposed to go to Bethlehem, that all seven of Jesse's sons were not the ones that were chosen, even though he had his eye on Eliab and it seemed like just by a stature alone that he would be a good pick. He hears God clearly, but then he's able to identify David specifically. When you get the right Samuel in your life, they will hear God clearly and they will identify you specifically. My parents acted as Samuel for me when I gave my life to Jesus. January 14th of 1996, when I gave my life to the Lord. And um, I started preaching a month later, February 25th of 1996. 96. I never wanted to be a preacher. I never wanted to be a speaker. I'm an introvert. I've told you that already. It's not you. It's me. I'm being drained by you right now. You're just sitting there. I'm going to need to recover after I leave, but it's not you. It's me. I wanted to be a homicide detective. That's what I went to school for. I studied administration of justice and I, my mother worked for the LAPD for 30 years. I wanted to be in law enforcement, especially in L.A., specifically as a homicide detective, because I didn't want to come when the shots were fired. Those are real heroes. I wanted to come after all the smoke cleared. And knowing that I was going to be in L.A., being a homicide detective meant job security. I don't make the rules. It's just what it is. I went to my mom one day after reading God's word. And I, and I shared with her what I felt like this passage of scripture meant. And her response was, you're going to preach next month on the last Sunday of the month. And I went, nobody wants to hear me preach. She said, hey, you can talk about what you just told me. You can talk about anything else. And I was like, I mean, OK, but it's not going to be good. This is not what I want to do. But she identified something in me specifically. She called it out and she put me in a position for it to be able to manifest and grow. For 11 months, I spoke in my parents' church. And I'll never forget in December, after I did that last message of the year, she said, uh, you've been faithful to preach in this house. Next year, 2007, if anybody calls you to preach at their church, you should take the assignment. My response was, who would ever invite me to preach at their church? 27 and a half years later, 
with more stamps in my passport than I can count. She was used as Samuel to clearly identify something I would have never come to the conclusion of myself. Samuel had to identify David as king because David was never gonna identify himself as a king. Which brings me to point number three. Please write this down. You need someone who will anoint you personally. You need someone who will anoint you personally. After uh, Samuel finishes grieving Saul, his instruction is to fill his flask with oil. He is sent on an assignment to Bethlehem to find the next king and to pour the oil out on to the next king. Now, I can identify with this very, very personally because I was born and raised in Pentecostal churches. Extra virgin olive oil is a staple in Pentecostal churches. E-V-O-O, first press, cold press. And if it comes from Israel, it's even more anointed. Now, over the years, the way that the oil has been uh, uh, used to pray for people and anoint people is like this. They do a little dab on their finger and do a little cross on your head. Then they pray for you. God bless them. God use them. God heal them. God deliver them. Whatever the thing is, right? I didn't come from the Pentecostal churches I went to, took the top off. Whatever you was wearing that day, do not take it to the cleaners. Because that ain't coming out. That collar was now permanently oiled up. Your suit jacket, it's over. But let me tell you something. I liked it better that way because that oil sank in deep. That oil marked you. It was with you for the rest of the day. Two hair washes later. Your scalp still had some of that EVOO in it. Why? Because when the anointing comes upon you, it should not be easy to get off of you. It is meant to change you. It is meant to mark you. It is meant to make you stand out from everybody else. It is meant to leave a fragrance that lets everybody else know there is something different about this person. I remember when I got so upset with God after three months of being a believer in Jesus, I actually tried to go back to my old ways because he had closed the door for me becoming a police officer for the Los Angeles Police Department. So I tried to backslide. I tried to go back to my old ways and I went to the club thinking I still had my groove. <laughs> and some dude with a little glass of Hennessy Walked up to me and said, hey, little man. He was big, so he got to say that. There was nothing I was going to say to him. Hey, little man, little homie, you ain't supposed to be in here. I said, bro, who are you? I don't know you. He's like, yeah, man, you just, fool, you ain't supposed to be in here. The Lord used the sinner to tell me I wasn't supposed to be at the club. I was so mad at him. I was so mad that I listened. It's never happened to me before. I was so 
mad at him that I actually was like, fool, you right. I got in my car and drove home. But the oil had marked me. And even when I tried to go back to a place that was familiar, I did not fit in. Because once the oil is on, it does not come off. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to prove it in verse 13. The last verse, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Not for three weeks. Not for two years. From that day on. Samuel's will anoint you. They will pour into you. They will give you wisdom. They will give you advice. They will place something on you that cannot easily be rubbed off. God used my parents, Charles and Maxine Ross, to do that, to even get me into ministry. Then in 1997, I moved to Texas and I was a part of the Potter's House with Bishop T.D. Jakes for 13 and a half years. I can count how many times I've had personal connections with him. But it wasn't a connection to make us friends. It was a connection to anoint and appoint me for what God wanted to do in my life. See, see, here, here's the thing that's very, very unique about Samuel. Technically, Samuel is not David's friend. He is not a family member. He is not a foe. Then Tim, if it's friends, family, and foes, why are you talking about Samuel in the first place? Because although he's not a friend of David's, he is a friend of God's. And God will always use his friends to identify the people he wants to be friends with. Every one of us needs a Samuel. And don't get the relationship twisted. They might not be in your life to be your dearest friend. Bishop Jakes is not my friend. We ain't boys. He's 18 years older than me. But God used him to put me in a position for the ministry that God had placed in me to grow. When I transitioned from there, he brought me to Gateway Church in 2011. I can count how many times I've had one-on-one -on -one conversations and impartations from Pastor Robert Morris. We ain't friends. But God used him to hear from God clearly on my behalf, identify me specifically, and pour into me what would send me to the next season of my life. Everybody in this room needs a Samuel because you will never get to where you're supposed to be without someone along the way. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you through this message? Like, I'm so excited to give this to you because I know that this series is going to help you calibrate the relationships that you have in your life. It's also going to show you the gaps that you're missing and the people that you need to be connected to. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I just want to ask a question and, and you, can, you can respond by just raising your hand. As you were hearing this message, is there anybody in here that has identified, I, I need a Samuel. I, I need a Samuel in my life. I, I, I know that there's 
more in me. I, there's some stuff that I don't even know that's in me and I need somebody to call it out for me. Thank you. I appreciate you raising your hand. That is just, that's fantastic. Because with that awareness, you're going to be able to connect in ways with people and receive from people in a way that you never thought possible. I have one more question. Is there anybody in this room that as I was teaching this, the Holy Spirit was kind of revealing to you, I think I'm a Samuel. I have something to pour into somebody. I have, I have something to identify. Thank you, I appreciate you. That's the season of life I'm in. 27 and a half years of ministry. I'm now 48 years old and God is bringing me men and women to literally hear clearly from God on their behalf, to identify them specifically and to anoint them personally. It's such a great honor to be a Samuel, to be somebody God chooses and trusts. Not to bring him closer to you, but to bring them closer to him. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, your sons and daughters, that this message and this series would lead and guide us into some of the most fruitful relationships we've ever had. That it would, through the remainder of these weeks, help us to calibrate some of the sour relationships that we have. But all along the way, Lord God, show us your glory. Because you know better than we that the people that are in our lives for reasons, seasons, and lifetimes are all divinely orchestrated by you. Thank you for our time in Jesus' name. Amen.